This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. It's Zoomer Radio's Theater of the Mind with Frank Proctor. Open your mind as we fill your head with amazing thrills, chills, <laughs> and laughs. Theater of the Mind, the best love programs from radio's golden age, only on Zoomer Radio. Now, here is your master storyteller, Frank Proctor. Well, thank you, and welcome to the show. You know, when I was a kid and my parents had bought me some toy guns that looked for all the world, like the ones that Roy Rogers, Gene Autry, and the Lone Ranger used to wear, boy, I was dead-eyed dick as I hunted down the bad guys in the safety of my backyard. I clearly remember trying to perfect the fast draw that these heroes would pull off with not once fumbling the gun and even go so far as to drop it. Well, that was my expertise. I couldn't quite get the hang of it. Do you remember those days, too? Those little reenactments provided some great training in using one's imagination. So in our first show tonight, let me take you back to 1942, when kids all over North America were trying to emulate a guy who wore a black mask, had a gun loaded with silver bullets, and a companion named Tonto. The character was inspired by Zorro and Robin Hood, according to historical documents found in multiple archives. The greatest influence on the formation of the Lone Ranger was Tom Mix, evident in a letter dated January 21st of 1933, in which director James Jewell told the producer a week before the program's premiere, we're going to publicize the fact that the Ranger is a Tom Mix type. Well, Tom Mix was a Hollywood movie star who defined the genre of westerns during the early days of cinema. So, let's see what the Lone Ranger and Tonto get up tonight in the episode entitled... Blue Pebbles. of light, a cloud of dust, and a hearty high silver, the Lone Ranger.
Indian companion Tonto, the masked rider of the plains, led the fight for law and order in the early western United States. The stories of his strength and courage, his daring and resourcefulness have come down to us through the generations, and nowhere in the pages of history can one find a greater champion of justice. Return with us now to those thrilling days of yesteryear. From out of the past come the thundering hoofbeats of the great horse Silver. The Lone Ranger rides again. Come on, Silver, there's danger on the trail ahead. The desert sun that streamed into the yard of the territorial prison was molten and glassy. It threw a blinding glare into the eyes of Jeff Thompson, who worked with a group of prisoners repairing a section of broken wall. All right, you jailbirds, get to work. Please, drink of water. Got more to do than fetch water for a bunch of cons. Get to work. Jeff didn't ask the prison guard for water. Not that he didn't want it. He would have bartered his soul for a drink. But he knew that asking was useless. Prisons like this were meant to break men, not help them. Even though a man had been convicted on false evidence. But it would take more than livid heat and back-shattering work to break Jeff Thompson. He was a small man of middle age with tight lips that rarely smiled. Cloudy gray eyes screened thoughts that were never spoken. Plans of escape that would someday be fulfilled. Most of these plans hinged on a Colt 45 that was well hidden under the mattress in his cell. Although he didn't know it, at this very moment in the warden's office, a visitor was asking for him. Visitors were the exception, not the rule at the territorial prison. So Jeff was as surprised as the guard who brought the message. Hey, Thompson. Somebody to see in the office. What do you mean? Warden? Ah, uh, somebody from outside. I don't know anyone. Warden says for you to come in, so get moving. Right in here. He's waiting for you. Thanks. And don't try any shenanigans. I'll be right outside the door. Hello, Jeff. Oh, it's you. Aren't you glad to see me? No. First time I ever heard of a prisoner who didn't want to see his lawyer. <laughs> Being a prisoner hasn't changed my mind about you, huh? Ah, oh, Jeff, there's no call for you to feel that way. I did the best I could for him. The cards were stacked against us, that's all. Fake evidence, perjured witnesses. I did the best I could. What are you doing here, Harvey? What do you want with me? Nothing much. I just happened to run across a newspaper from up north. Thought you might be interested in. What is it? Newspaper from Shieldtown, Montana. What? Montana. Well, let me see it. Can't do that, Jeff. Against prison rules. But I'll read you a little item here on the front page. Go on, read it. It's the Shieldtown News. Listen. John P. Cartwright, prominent rancher and mining man of Shieldtown, passed away yesterday morning. Cartwright. Dead. Yeah. I figured it would be news you'd like to hear. Does it say any more? Sure. Says the Cartwright estate, consisting principally of rangeland and a gold mine in the Trinity Basin, will undoubtedly pass to Mr. Nathan Black, as there are no Cartwright heirs. So Black is finally going to get what he's been trying to steal for the past 16 years. Now, wait a minute, Jeff. Nate Black has a moral and legal right to the Cartwright place. 
Hasn't he been the old man's range boss and my informant? Blake's a crook and you know it. He's my client. That's the same thing. Then, anyway, Nate gets the ranch and the mine because nobody's ever seen hiding her hair the Cartwright kid since he disappeared over 16 years ago. You don't know anything about that, do you? Why should I? No reason. You came down here to talk, Harvey. What is it? No, I just came down Talk or I'm going back to work. All right. Nate Black figures that someday you'll be getting out of here. Not for ten years. And he thought maybe you'd like to come back to uh, Montana. What's the matter? Pay dirt petered out in a cut right mine? He figures I know where the new load is? To tell the truth, that is one of the reasons... Mine has petered out. In the past two months, we haven't panned anything but a lot of blue pebbles. What? Nothing but a lot of worthless blue pebbles. No gold. Oh, if I was only out of here. That's spirit. We thought you'd feel that way. No, it doesn't do me any good. Oh, yes, it does. Jeff, you're busting out of here tonight. Oh. And but off the guard... You'll open up your cell at midnight. You'll find a rope hanging over the wall where you were working today. I better get away. We'll be waiting for you outside the wall. All right. By the way, you don't have a gun, do you? Why, I got... No. No, of course not. The guard will slip you on. Understand? I understand. All right. Time's up. Well, goodbye, Jeff. I'll see you some other time. I'm sure you will, Harvey. At midnight, the door to Jeff Thompson's cell was unlocked from the outside and a guard pressed a gun into his hand. His own gun, the one he had kept hidden for so long, was now beneath his shirt. As he slunk out a side door of the prison and hurried toward the wall, Jeff was worried. It was all too easy to be real. Yet there was the rope, just as Harvey had promised it. Hand over hand, he climbed the rough stone barricade and poised a moment at the top to catch his breath. Then he jumped into total darkness. Jeff. Jeff. Right here, Harvey. There he is, guard. Right that open space. He's got them together. Who are you? He's an escaped prisoner. I'm in him. Jeff turned quickly, gun in hand. He pressed the trigger. In a flash, he realized the frame-up. They had purposely given him an empty gun. He reached for his own pistol. The one he knew was loaded. Plug him before he gets away. Yeah. No, you won't. Oh. I have got to get Reach, Harvey. Or I'll blow that lion head of yours into a million pieces. Yeah, listen, Jeff. Shut Harvey. up. You double-crossing scum. So the idea was to blast me, huh? I don't understand, Jeff. I understand that Nathan Black must be mighty scared of me or what I know. How much did he pay you to frame this killer? Uh, Black, How much? Hundred dollars. Give it to me. Yeah. Right, now give it back to Black. In lead. Jeff, I've always... And here's it. your share. <laughs> I should kill you. But I've got more important things to do. <laughs> Not far from the walls of the territorial prison, two men were seated on their haunches beside an open campfire. One of them was tall and lean. He wore a black mask. The other was a grave-faced Indian. The Lone Ranger spoke to Tonto. That sounded like gunfire a few minutes ago. Mm. As soon as we finish supper, First we'll go... the moves will get his spine split with a bullet. He's behind us, Tonto. Don't move. Mm. That's good advice, stranger. Now stand up, both of you. Yes? Put your hands in the air and turn around. We haven't much choice. Mask man or engine? Outlaws, eh? What do you think? Well, I guess I'm in the right company. I just busted out of prison. I guessed as much. But I'm not in the prod. 
And the reason I made the break was to stop a gang of crooks from cheating an innocent kid. And if you'll tell me what Keep you... him up. Don't drop your hands. All right. What do you want? All I need from you two hombres is a good horse. One that can travel fast. You only have two horses. One's enough for me. I'll ride the paint over there. That's strange. I'd never take you for a horse thief. I'm not stealing your cayuse. Just borrowing it. I'll ride till he's winded and then pick up another one. Do you mind telling us which way you're heading? No, I guess I'd better take them shooting irons of yours, too, just to play safe. Throw them down, kick them over this way. Careful now, no tricks. That's better. I'm not going to keep them. You'll find them in the saddlebags in the paint. Throw your cayuse over here. Call him, Tata. Uh-huh. Here's Count. Right smart-looking pony. Well, gents, I'm mighty grateful to you. If you happen to mosey along my trail, you might find this critter along about sunup. Get up, horse. Get up, man. Get up. We ride, Silver. Catch Crook. Yes, Tonto. Here, Silver. Easy, big fella. Unless I'm mistaken, there's more than one crook to be caught. Uh, be ready. Come on, Silver. Ranger and Tonto riding double on silver trail Jeff Thompson, the outlaw. About an hour after sunrise, they reached the outskirts of a small town. Tonto was the first to sight what they were looking for. There's Count. Him wait. All right, Tonto. Oh, silver. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Scout plenty tired. That hard right. They're both tired, Tonto. We'll stop here for a few hours and hit the trail again. Huh? Kimasabi. Yeah? Leave guns. They here in saddlebag. Yes, he kept his promise. That's what puzzles me, Tonto. We're going to follow him no matter how far north he goes. It was almost a week later that Jeff Thompson rode into the corral on a small ranch in northern Wyoming. Oh, oh boy. He was dead tired from many hours in the trail, but his eyes brightened when he saw a tall young cowpuncher hurrying toward the corral to greet him. Paul, Paul, where'd you come from? <laughs> South... Down the territory. Pa, I had a letter from you. He said you'd gone to South America or someplace like that. You might be gone a long time. Yes, son, I know. That wasn't the truth. Not the... What do you mean? Anybody in the bunkhouse? Well, no, well, let's but... go in there, hmm? I've got a lot of things to tell you. Well, what is it, Pa? Well, to start with, Tommy... I want to tell you a story about an old cowpoke who was working on a spread up in Montana about 16 years ago. Well, who was he? I'll get to that. This fellow wasn't very smart. Oh, he knew plenty about cattle and mining, but not much about human nature. Well, I don't understand, Pa. One day he had a fight with his boss. So for revenge, he kidnapped the boss's motherless kid and hightailed it. Kidnapped a baby? Yeah. Well, who was this man, Pa? Me. You mean you're... I sure ain't proud of what I've done. The scheme kind of backfired on me anyway. I thought I was hurting my ex-boss. But right from the first, I raised the kid and... the little jigger kind of got a hold of my heart. He called me Pa. I called him son. Oh, but I'm the only... Yeah. You mean I'm that kid? Yes, son. You're that kid. Well, I'm... Who's my real father? Your real pa's dead, Tommy. Died last week on his ranch in Montana. What was his name? 
Cartwright. John Cartwright. That's your right name, too. Oh, I don't care about that. You're the only paw I've ever known. I don't want to change. You don't understand, Tommy. I've been in territorial prison down south. I busted out as soon as I heard that Cartwright was dead. There's a ranch and a played-out gold mine in Montana that are rightfully yours. Oh, I don't want them. I'd rather be with you. But, Tommy, the only reason I broke out of jail was to square things with you. You've got to go up there and claim what's yours. You see, I know something about that Cartwright mine that nobody hey, else... listen. Somebody's coming. It must be that mask out on an engine. They've been trailing me for days. Who are they? I don't know. But I do know nobody's going to stop me from taking you back to Montana. What do we do? Just keep quiet. They'll see my horse outside and they'll come in here. The minute they open the door, I'll start to blast with Lynn. No, Pa, that's quiet. I started this show, and I'm going to finish it. Oh, who's in the horse guard? Oh, fella. 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 Oh, curtain falls on the first act of our Lone Ranger drama. Before the next exciting scenes, please permit us to pause for just a few moments. Now to continue our story. Unaware that Jeff Thompson was waiting inside the bunkhouse with leveled guns, the Lone Ranger and Tonto walked quickly toward the door. This is the only place he can be. Uh. Oh, wait a minute, Tonto. I don't know what's behind this door. It's best to play safe. Uh. Down on our knees. I'll push the door in. Yeah. Keep your gun ready. My Keep them covered, Tonto. Let me do it. You were trying to kill me, so you shot too high. How did I know you'd come crawling in on your hands and knees? You didn't know. That's why you failed. What do you want? I think I'm the one to ask questions. This man held us up, stole one of our horses. I didn't and... steal. I left your horse where you could find it. Very true. But you escaped from territorial prison. Are you a lawman? No. Then what do you care? You also tried to kill me just now. That is my business. Look here, stranger. I ain't You're going to talk and talk fast. All right. I'll tell you what it's all about. My name is Jeff Thompson. The boy here is Tommy. Tommy Cartwright. So, if what you say is the truth, all you want to do is prove that Tommy here is a legal heir to his father's mine and ranch. Yeah. If I could do that, I'd be willing to go back to the territory and spend the rest of my life there. How can you prove what you say? It won't be easy. Nate Black is a tough hombre, and so is that shyster Harvey. Well, uh, that depends on how we handle it. We? You, you mean, stranger, you'll help on me? Come on, saddle your horses. We're all heading for Montana. <laughs> spread of Trinity Basin wasn't considered good grazing land. It was made up mainly of broken country, crisscrossing coolies and rocky draws. Many years before, John Cartwright had homesteaded the upper part of it and tried to raise cattle. This hadn't been very successful, so he began placer mining for gold up near Jubilee Peak, 
But that venture, too, seemed doomed to failure because everyone knew that long before the old man died, he had ceased to pan any pay dirt from the Cartwright mine. Nathan Black, who had apparently inherited the property, was convinced there was a secret ore vein someplace on the claim. The problem now was to find it. All right, Harvey. Fetch another bucket of that sand and limestone. We'll run it through the rocker. Yeah, yeah, don't seem to be getting any place, Nate. We've washed almost a ton of this stuff. Another speck of gold so far. Double it in here and shut up. Oh, grab a hole. Help me lift this thing into the creek. I can't understand it. This stuff looks good, but it don't pan out. It's no good, Nate. There's no gold within 100 miles of this place. There's got to be. Cartwright took it out of here. That was a long time ago. Now it's played out. Can't be. The old coot wouldn't have been so worried about the place if it was worthless. See? Look at what's left. Nothing but a mess of blue pebbles. I tell you, Nate... Shut up. You can't tell me anything. You haven't done your part of this job yet. What do you mean? And hombre Jeff Thompson's got the Cartwright kid staked out someplace. I don't believe it. Well, I do. So you were going to have Thompson killed so he couldn't get to the kid. I did, Fred. All you did was make it easy for him to get out of prison. And right now it's ten to one he's on the prod, headed this way. Jeff Thompson can't do anything. He did plenty to you, unless you're lying. Suppose the Cartwright kid is alive. He can't prove it. He could come into Shale Town and raise an awful ruckus because I inherited this property. You've got a ranch, ain't you? What do you care about this played-out place of mine? It ain't worth a powder to blow it up. There is gold here someplace. And I'm going to keep on panning till I find it. You're loco. There's nothing in this pit but some blue gravel. Listen, Harvey, I'll do the mining and you the law work. Which is more than you've done so far. Now, Shut up, I... I'm tired of listening to alibis. Come on up to the shack. It's getting too dark to wash any more sand. There's no use talking like that, mate. I... Stop beefing. Let's go up to the shack. A few moments later, four horsemen rode through the fur-fringed jaws of Jubilee Pass. The Lone Ranger was in the lead. Jeff and Tommy followed, and Tonto brought up the rear. It was a bright moonlit night. Every rock and crag of the rugged country was outlined sharply against the flat valley that lay below. The masked man reined up suddenly and called a halt. Well, is this the place, Jeff? Yep, this is it. How far is Shaletown? About 20 miles, but the Cartwright Ranch is right below us. And the mine is just across that big ravine. Where will we find this Nathan Black? The ranch, most likely. But uh, I'd like to stop by the mine first. I want to tell Tommy a few things about it. All right, lead the way. Get up here. Come Come on, on, get up. Get him up. Riders threaded their way through a rock-strewn ravine. At its upper end, they reached a small creek that seemed to come tumbling out of nowhere. In single file, they headed upstream until they broke into a level clearing that was bounded on the far side by a deep chasm. Jeff Thompson brought his pony to a halt. He dismounted quickly, and the others followed suit. That's it, right over there. What? The mine, come on. See, this is it. It's nothing but an open pit. Placer mine, Tommy. Apparently somebody's been working it. There's a sluice box and rocker in the creek. Nate. I'll bet Nate Black's been up here, and Harvey, too. You ever got over that punch in the jaw I gave him? Is this all there is to the mine? Aren't there any buildings? Tool shack right across the canyon there. Across the canyon? How do you get over there? When Cartwright first staked this claim, I was working for him. He couldn't build a tool shed here because the creek floods over every spring. 
So he put it over there and swung a cable across. How does it work? Lock and tackle in a bucket. Does, does all this really belong to me, Pa? Sure does, Tommy. We'll go into Shale Town and see old Judge Barnes. He drew up your dad's will. Judge will recognize you. He knew your pa well. How much gold has been taken out of here, Thompson? Oh, not very much. I'd make a bet there hasn't been more than $200 panned here in the last five years. 200 You broke jail, stole horses, tried to kill me, and risked your life to get here? That doesn't make sense. There's something about this mine that I haven't told anybody. It's a secret only me and old John Cartwright knew about. But what is it, Pa? Well, come over here to the sluice box. Hey, look at this box. A little bit different than most of them, you see. I don't understand. Hey, look down to the end. Those are iron riffles instead of wood or zinc. Well, what's that mean? Well, it means that... It's... That's from the other side. The tool shed, Black. Nate Black. You better keep down. I've come from pass. Is there any other way off this clearing? Just the cable and the pass we came in. And those are both covered. They're shooting over our heads now, but if they drop their fire, we're trapped. Not as long as I can sling any lead with this forty-five. Wait, wait. You'll only show them exactly where we are. Those low-down sidewinders are... Don't raise up. They're in that shack across the canyon. They can see every move you make. But I'm not going to stand it. Oh, Pa! Pa! Lie still, Tommy. You'll make the same mistake he did. Tommy. Yeah, Pa? I... I think that one had my number on it, son. Oh, no. He'll be all right, Pa. We'll hook those pole cats and get you down to a doctor in Shantown. I won't last that long. But I want to tell you something, Tommy. Listen to me. What is it, Pa? The mine. Yeah? It's yours. Don't let Black cheat you. I'll get it, Pa. And, and Tommy, I don't know who this masked man is, but I know he's square. Trust him. Uh, I will. One, one more thing, Tommy. Yeah? <laughs> call me, call me Pa again. Will you, son? You are my Pa. <laughs> Best Pa in the world. Thanks, son. That's worth anything it ever cost me. Pa! Pa! He's gone. Yes. It's tough, Tommy. What we've got to do now is save ourselves. We can. There's only one chance. If I can get across that canyon, I can come up behind the tool shack. You heard what Pa said. The cable's the only way across. No, it isn't. You wait here with Tonto. Lie flat. What are you going to do? Ask my horse, Silver, to do the impossible. Oh, wait here. The masked man bent low and ran zigzag fashion across the open clearing. Flying lead missed him by inches, but he finally reached the large rock behind which Silver was waiting. He mounted the white stallion quickly and spoke in a low tone of voice. Easy. Silver. Rather, it's up to you. That's a 20-foot jump across the gorge. Can we make it? All right, big fella. Here we go. Come on, Silver. Like a bolt of silver lightning, the powerful white stallion shot from behind a protecting rock and raced across the clearing to the edge of the canyon. His ears seemed to flatten back for just an instant, as though to hear the Lone Ranger's urgent cry that would send him across the gaping canyon. Now, Silver, jump! The moment the stallion's feet touched the earth, the Lone Ranger shouted his admiration. Good work, big boy. I knew you'd do it. Now over to the right. Back of that tool shed. Oh, Silver, oh! Rub your hand, both of you. Thank you, Mr. No, you won't. Stand where you are. He's wearing a mask. March over to that cable car. We're going over to the mine. Are you kidding? Go on. Get moving. (laughs) 
few moments later, the prisoners were bound hand and foot. Have you tied them well, Tonto? Uh-huh. Me time, plenty good. And I'll ride into Shale Town and get the sheriff. Uh, you and Tommy take care of Jeff. Then wait here. Uh-huh. The one thing I can't figure out... What is it, Tommy? My pa, the man I thought was my pa, well, he died trying to protect a gold mine that looks like it was played out. What's a gold mine without gold? I think I know the answer, Tommy. Come over here. Jeff tried to tell us about this, but he didn't get a chance. Look at this sluice box. See the tiny bits of blue gravel stuck to the bottom of it? Sure, but those hunks of blue gravel aren't gold. You're right. They're far more precious than gold. Those little bits of blue gravel, Tommy, are sapphires. You've inherited a sapphire mine. Now, I'll bet that's something Nathan Black and his partner didn't know. Well, I'll be done. I've darned. got to go now and get the sheriff. You wait here with Tonto. Well, sure, but... I won't be long. Tommy watched the masked man walk quickly to the cable car and swing across the canyon. He saw him beckon to his horse and mount. Say, who is that fellow anyway? Uh, 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 that not just Tuller. That lone ranger. just heard is a copyrighted feature of the Lone Ranger Incorporated. Stay tuned for The Life of Riley next on Theater of the Mind. Time now for William Bendix to star in The Life of Riley. Teal, the amazing liquid dentifrice, brings you The Life of Riley with William Bendix as Riley. Remember, friends, for a beautiful smile, it's T-E-E-L, Teal. And just for laughs, it's R-I-L-E-Y, Riley, in the life of Riley. Well, for the past few weeks, Mr. and Mrs. Chester A. Riley and their two teenage children, Babs and Junior, were vacationing in the east, and all was quiet on the western front. But now the family is back in their little California bungalow, 
And as we look in on the Rileys, we find them on a subject that comes up in a lot of kitchens. But, Mother, the coat's only $30. I'm sorry, Babs. We just can't afford it. I'm going to ask Daddy. Now, don't start pestering your father at breakfast. You promised him never to talk about money during mealtime. I know. So now whenever I bring up the subject of money, he starts eating. <laughs> Mom's right, Babs. Lay off a of pop. Let's keep him in a good mood. Well, that's very considerate of you, Junior. Well, sure. Then I can hit him for a buck. <laughs> you do nothing of the kind. Oh, what a beautiful morning. Oh, good morning, Dumpling. Hello, dear. Morning, offspring. Hello, Daddy. Ah, that's what I like to see. My own little family gathered around the breakfast table without a care in the world. Uh, Daddy, dear. No. Ah, <laughs> uh, Pop. No. Gosh, you don't even know what I was going to ask you. I know. When it comes to you kids, I'm psychopathic. <laughs> you want money? Only a dollar. Didn't I give you a dollar yesterday? Yeah, but you made me give you four quarters for it. <laughs> oh, Junior, stop annoying your father. Yes, leave him alone. Poor Daddy hasn't even had his orange juice. Oh, here, Daddy, drink mine. And what do you want? <laughs> well, uh, I, I really do need a new coat, Daddy. Here's your orange juice back. <laughs> now, listen, kids, I know you need things, and so does your mother. You should see the roses on her best hat, all wilted. But I'm not going to get a new one. Of course not. We just fertilized the old one. <laughs> I mean, we just got economicized. You know, a riveter's pay envelope ain't worth what it used to be. It's inflation. Uh, Pop, what is inflation anyway? Well, it's, uh, it's, uh, you mean to say you don't know what inflation is? <laughs> I bet your sister knows. Babs, you tell her. Well, I'm not too clear on it. Uh, just what is inflation? Well, it's, uh, uh, it, can you beat that peg? They don't know what inflation is. Suppose you explain it, dear. Well, it's very simple. You see, uh, well, uh, well, well, take the price of steak. Starts going up and up and up. Pretty soon we can't afford to buy steak. All we can afford is spaghetti and potatoes. <laughs> so you eat spaghetti and potatoes seven days a week, and then one morning you try to put your pants on and you can't button them. <laughs> That's inflation. <laughs> now, let me eat my breakfast in peace. Oh, Ronnie, wait, wait. Don't sit well, down. What's the matter? What? Oh, your overalls are huh? full of grease again. Oh, come here. Spread this newspaper on your chair. Oh, never mind. I'll, I'll eat standing up. <laughs> but just remember, this grease feeds our family. Well, just the same. I wish you had a job where you didn't have to wear overalls. Oh. Oh, I see. You're, you're ashamed of my job. Why, no, I'm not, dear. Well, you should be. <laughs> a fine father. I can't even give you the things you need. Oh, stop that, Riley. Why, we get along all right. Oh, you're just saying that, Peg, to make me feel good. Believe me, it hurts to have to tell my family face-to-face -face that we can't make our ends meet. <laughs> there, 
day work, give us my own wife and kids begging me for things, things that they need. So what? Why cry on my shoulder, Rainy? Leave them be. And what hurts me the worst, Peg said she's ashamed of me working in overalls. What a night. Maybe she expects you to dress formal with a white tie and a tail, huh? (laughs) Maybe catch the rivets in your top hat. Oh, Gillis, she's right. Here I am, married 17 years, almost a fortnight. (laughs) And what am I? A failure. You know, Riley, your wife's given you an interior complex. Now, now take my wife. Whenever she opens her mouth to squawk, I tell her, if you don't like the status quo, you can ipso facto. (laughs) Yeah, but Gillis, you got a responsibility to your wife. After all, you ask her to marry you. Who asked her? It happened at a picnic She was chasing five guys And I run the slowest What a life I wouldn't blame Peg if she walked out on me Tomorrow If it wasn't for our two kids I'd walk out with her Well, cheer up, pal Maybe one of these days Mr. Stevenson will promote you Fat chance here we are, making a fortune for him while he sits up there in his fancy office, counting the dollars. What an ungrate. What a weasel. Hey, Riley, you're wanted on the phone. Oh, me? Yeah, take it in the machine shop. It's Mr. Stevenson. Mr. Stevenson? The, the boss? Gillis, you think he heard me? Nah. He's got big ears, but they ain't equipped with radar. <laughs> Go on, answer the phone. Gee, maybe he'll fire me. Hello, Mr. Stevenson. This is Riley. Ron? I I can't hear you, Mr. Stevenson. What's that? A job for me on a desk? What's that? Assistant manager. Mr. Stevenson, you mean that I... Oh, thank you. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. I'll be there. Yes, sir. 9 a.m. Oh, Mr. Stevenson. Thank you, boss. Thank you, darling. (laughs) Where's the floor? (laughs) Riley, what's the matter? You're as pale as a goat. Gillis. (laughs) Mr. Stevenson, a desk job, a job desk, a desk job. Have you gone by Jake? (laughs) What are you raving about? I've been promoted. I I got a desk job. He's made me assistant manager. Assistant manager? Yeah, yeah. You? You? It's a cat's apostrophe. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that Mr. Stevenson. What a wonderful weasel he turned out to be. Gosh, oh boy, assistant manager. Oh, that's just wonderful, Daddy. Assistant manager. I just can't believe it. <laughs> now, Peg, don't be a doubting tomcat. <laughs> Stevenson just phoned me up himself. Gee, you'd think a guy's own wife would believe him. Oh, I do believe you, dear. And I'm proud of you. So am I. (laughs) You know, all my life I thought I was a dunce. But Stevenson convinced me. (laughs) Chester A. Riley, assistant manager. Well, uh, what does an assistant manager have to do, Pop? Junior, it's a cinch. All day long I'll be sitting back in my swivel chair with my hands behind my head, pushing buzzers. No, how can you push buzzers with your hands behind your head? I, I got toes, ain't I? Oh, 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 o
Oh, gee, it'll be heavenly to be rich, Daddy. We'll be on easy street, Dumplin'. All my life I've been promising you and the kids all kinds of things. Well, from now on, when I promise you things, I won't be lying. Well, can, can we get a car? You bet. Can I drive it, Pop? Sure, and I'll buy you a chauffeur's uniform. <laughs> and Dumplin', I want you to go out and buy anything you want. Open charge accounts in all the stores. With my new salary, I can afford to owe everybody. <laughs> and you know, Peg, we're going to send your mother a... a your, we're go- whoa, whoa, Peg, what's the matter? You're, you're crying. Oh, it, it's nothing. It's just that I'm... I'm so proud of you. <laughs> Come here, dear. <laughs> what a kiss. <laughs> Gosh, Dumplin, you kissed me just as if we weren't married. <laughs> I, I still can't believe it. It's all like a dream. Yeah. And we got my boss, Mr. Stevenson, to thank for all this. That man will always have my undying gratitude. I'll work hard. I'll go up and up and up. And someday, you'll see, I'll take Stevenson's job away from him. (laughs) I've typed those letters, Mr. Stevenson. Thanks, Millie. I guess you can go now. Over the way, did they deliver the desk I ordered for the new assistant manager? Yes, sir. It's in the vacant office. Fine. I spoke to a man in the riveting department named Riley. He'll be here tomorrow morning. You show him into the office... Put into work polishing that desk. Uh, Wilson, my new assistant manager, gets here Friday. Oh, hurry up with that tie, Dumplin'. I don't want to be late the first day. Oh, stop we... fidgeting. Well, I can't. I... <laughs> there, now it's all tied. Daddy, I never saw you look so dressed up. Uh, Junior, are you through shining my shoes? Stand still while I brush well, you. Right. Uh, Junior, did you call a taxi? I gotta have a taxi. A taxi, Daddy? All the way to the plant? No, only to the bus. Well, <laughs> goodbye, Dumplin'. Uh, goodbye, kids. I, uh, wait a minute. Where's my lunch pail? Oh, oh, Daddy, executives don't carry lunch pails. Oh, uh, okay, then I won't eat. Well, goodbye. Wait, wait a minute. Let me take another look at you. Uh, yeah? Oh, my, you look wonderful. Yeah. When I walk into the office and they see me all dolled up like this, somebody's going to get the shock of their life. <laughs> Good morning, miss. Kindly tell Mr. Stevenson his new assistant manager is here. Oh, are you the... Yep. Well, we didn't expect you so early. I'll tell him you're here. Thank you. What is it, Millie? Uh, Mr. Stevenson, the new assistant manager is here. What? Why, Mr. Wilson wasn't doing till tomorrow. Oh, and that desk's a mess. Where's that deadhead Riley? I don't know. Find out if he's punched in while I go out and show Wilson his office. Well, good morning, Mr. Wilson. Uh, Riley, it's you. Yes, sir. Uh, uh, uh. <laughs> oh, that secretary of mine thought... <laughs> oh, is she dumb? <laughs> she looks dumb. <laughs> well, let's go, Riley. I'll show you the office. Okay, boys. <laughs> ah, here it is. There's the desk. Oh. oh, what a beautiful office. I... I want to thank you for giving me this opportunity... Carl. 
Oh, forget it. I couldn't have found a better man for the job. <laughs> you ain't getting no argument out of me. Uh, by the by, uh, Carl, I, uh, I guess an assistant manager pulls down a pretty hefty salary, huh? Naturally. Ten thousand? Oh, he, he gets eight thousand, Five thousand? Four? Listen, I don't have to take a cut, do I? Now, stop horsing around, Riley, and go to work. Yes, sir. But you know, boss, I'm, I'm kind of surprised that you put me on this job. After all, I'm, I'm a little on the rough side, but, but give me a little time and I'll get plenty of polish. You don't have to get polished. There's a whole gallon in the corner. <laughs> now get into some overalls and start polishing that desk. <laughs> Hold on a second, Chief. You don't expect an assistant manager to polish a desk. <laughs> no, I expect you to do it. And have it finished before Wilson, my new assistant, shows up tomorrow. Wilson? Assistant? But I thought that I... You mean he... I'm just going to polish... <laughs> What a revolting development this is. And now back to the life of Riley with William Bendix as Riley. Well, it was a happy Riley who left home this morning for the Stevenson Aircraft plant under the impression that he was to take the assistant manager's desk. Then he discovered that he was to take the assistant manager's desk and polish it. And now, after eight hours of rubbing the desk, he faces the ordeal of telling his proud family the shocking news. Oh, hello, dear. Hi, you big shot. Did you put over any big deals? Did you fire Did you anybody? Take letters? Have you got a secretary? Oh, what's children, that? children, give your father a chance. He must be dead tired. Remember, he's been thinking hard all day. Yeah. I can hardly lift my right arm. <laughs> your arm? Yeah, uh, uh, picking up the telephone all day. Well, sit down, dear, and tell us all about it. Yeah, sit down here, Pop. Here's your pipe. Thanks. Shall I put on your slippers, Daddy? Okay, but they may be a little too big for you. <laughs> no. Tell us, dear. How did it feel to, to be a big executive? I'm glad you brought the subject up. Peg, there's something I've got to tell you. Yes, dear? Now, listen carefully. You see, I... Let me put it another way. <laughs> Maybe I ought to give up being a manager and go back to being a river. But why? Well, there's more chance for advancement. <laughs> Gosh, Pop. One day of mental work and you're having a nervous breakdown. Well, Daddy, what are you saying? Well, I'm thinking of quitting for your sake. For our sake? Yeah, well... You know how it is when a guy gets into the big door, becomes a big shot, he gets to be a snub, and he becomes repulsive. I don't want to be any more repulsive than I am right now. Oh, now, darling, you're just excited about your good luck. Come on, let's have dinner. No, not yet, Peg. I'm going out for a little walk. I want to blow out my brains with some fresh air. <laughs> Thank you. 
who's that? It is I, Digby O'Dell, the friendly undertaker. <laughs> oh, hello, Digger. Greetings, Riley. You're looking fine. Very natural. <laughs> well, what are you doing in the park, Digger? Oh, I always come here at twilight and walk around the pond. I like to listen to the frogs croak. <laughs> Digger. Digger, I'm in a jam. Maybe you can help me. Depend on me, Riley. I've given many a man a push in the right direction. <laughs> well, then tell me. What do you think of a guy who's living a double life? A double life? Mm. Two lives? I've yet to meet a man who had more than one. If he had, he should have spoken up. <laughs> Wait, Digger, you missed the point I got in my head. I mean, a guy who's making believe he's something he ain't. A faker. Oh, I despise fakers. Fortunately, they're always caught and disgraced. They are? Oh, yes. In my profession, we have a say. A man may lead two lives at once, for one reason or another. But in the end, you nail him good. That's all, brother. <laughs> Digger, it's me I'm talking about. I'm the disgrace. I'm a failure as a husband. Ah, husband. Limping home after a hard day's work to the faithful little woman. Listening to the patter of little feet as the kiddies romp on the dining room table. <laughs> In-laws dropping in for a weekend and staying long enough to get squatters' rights. <laughs> I adore bachelors. They're so gay. <laughs> right now, I wish I was a bachelor. Then maybe my children would like me better. <laughs> You see, Digger, I told my family that I got a big promotion, but but it's all a mistake. Then go and tell them the truth. Immediately. I'm afraid to. They'll hate me. Have it your own way, Riley. But if you find yourself in a hole, remember, I didn't put you there. <laughs> well, here you I'd better be shoveling off. <laughs> Job. I get all the dirty work. Riley, aren't you through polishing the desk? Not yet, Millie, not yet. Well, hurry up, molasses. Don't make this a career. <clears throat> Miss Hoity Toity. Always criticizing. When she thought I was assistant manager, she gave me respect. Then she found out what I really am, so she don't treat me human. What's so wonderful about being assistant manager? Nothing to it. All you do is fire people, hire people, collect good dough, take long lunch hours. I'm a natural for a job like that. <laughs> All you have to do is act important. When the phone rings, pick it up. Talk like a big shot. Riley speaking. This is Barker on the front gate. Your wife and kids are on the way up to see you. Listen, Barker, don't bother me with petty details or I'll slip you a pink slip. Interrupting a busy man with... <laughs> the family. Peg, Junior, Babs, they'll find out. I... Millie, my family, they're here. They'll find out. Help me, Millie, please help me. Sure, sure. What, what do you want me to well, do? Help me take my pants off. I, 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 
I mean my, I mean my overalls. I, I gotta hide my overalls, make Millie. Oh, oh, what are you talking about? My family. They think I'm assistant manager. Don't give me away. Please give me a break. Oh, what'll I well, do? Well, all right, I... all right. Take it easy. I won't tell you. Yeah, but let me take you. Here, here, my overalls. Here, you hide them in the waistband. Yeah, okay. Here, now, now put your coat on. Okay, I'm putting it on. Here he is, Mom. Hiya, Pop. Hello, Dad. Hello, dear. We thought we'd pay you a little surprise visit. Fine. (laughs) What a pleasant surprise. (laughs) I I was just working with my secretary here. Uh, uh, That'll be all, Millie. Uh, By the way, Millie, I... I want to send out some circular letters. Get me some round paper. (laughs) Yes, sir. Oh, Daddy, you've got a beautiful office. It is nice, ain't it? Dear, we brought you a few little gifts. Here, Pop. Look, business cards with your name printed. Chester A. Riley, assistant manager. And this is a picture of me and the children to keep on your desk. You shouldn't have done it. Believe me, you shouldn't have done it. Sweet land, wrap it. There. Oh, Junior, dear, put the paper in the wastebasket. Hey, hey, look what's in your wastebasket, Pop. A pair of overalls. Why, Riley, those look... They ain't mine. They're my secretaries. I mean, I mean, they're, 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 they're Gillises. That's who they are. Gillises? Yeah, I, I, I give him a break and let him polish my desk and he leaves his dirty overalls around. Well, where are you going? I'm going to ram him down his throat. Gosh, Pop's acting funny. You know, it, it's funny about those overalls. I could have sworn that they were... Hey, Riley, the boy... Why, Mrs. Riley and the kids. What are you doing here? Oh, hello, Mr. Gillis. We're just... Oh, Pop's looking for you, Mr. Gillis. I'm looking for him. The foreman wants to know when he's going to be true polishing that desk. He wants him back in the Riverton department. Polishing the desk? Yeah. Yeah, that one. For Mr. Wilson, the new assistant manager. Oh. Oh, I see. Yeah, tell him to speed it up, will you? So long, folks. Well, gosh, Mom, I don't get it. If Pop's the assistant manager... I'm, I'm afraid he isn't. Something must have gone wrong. Oh, poor Daddy. No wonder he's been acting so strange. Now, you let me do all the talking. Shh, here he comes. Boy, did I tell that Gillis off. (laughs) Friendship is friendship, but in this plant, he's got to realize it. I'm the assistant manager. (laughs) That's right, dear. Uh, Well, uh, uh, you better go now, dear. I I, I got an important conference with Mr. Stevenson. Uh, A big stock deal, uh, a fiscal fiduciary matter. Uh, (laughs) You see, uh, I I figured out that the common stock is too common. And so I'm going to make... uh, Why don't you quit this job? That's gratitude for you. Here I struggle and slave year after year to get to the top, and you want me to... Did you say quit? <laughs> yes, dear. Well, I don't know. I hate to leave him in the lurch. Well, I, I know, dear, but you'll be happier in your old job. Do it for my sake. For your sake? Come on, Pop. Quit. Well, yes, Daddy. Give it up. You're asking me? Yes, we're asking you. You're begging me. Yes, we're begging you. You're pleading with me? Yes. Yes, we're pleading with you. Okay. I quit. You forced me into it. Oh, Riley. Oh, thank you. Oh, don't. 
I'm a failure again. I'm the happiest man in the world. <laughs> Are you asleep? Only my foot. <laughs> my mind is still awake. Peg, there's uh, something I got to tell you. Yes, dear. I never was assistant manager. I just thought I was. I got mixed up. Oh. Oh, I see. Sometimes I ain't very bright, am I? <laughs> no, dear. You certainly aren't. That's what I love about you, Dumplin'. You always agree with me. Procter Gamble, makers of Teal, the amazing liquid dentifrice, invites you to be their guests next week to hear the life of Riley with William Bendix as Riley. William Bendix is currently starring in the universal film White Tie and Tales. The Life of Riley is produced for Teal by Irving Brecker and is directed by Don Bernard. Music by Lou Kozlov. The script by Alan Lipscott and Reuben Ship. Mrs. Riley is Paula Winslow. Digger O'Dell is John Brown. Babs is Sharon Douglas. Junior is Tommy Cook. Stevenson is Ken Christie. And Millie is Margaret Brayton. This is Ken Carpenter on behalf of Teal, inviting you to listen again next week. And remember, for laughs, it's R-I-L-E-Y Riley. And for lovely smiles, it's T-E-E-L Teal. Teal, the amazing liquid dentifrice, protects teeth beautifully. Thank you for listening. Tomorrow night, it's Mr. District Attorney, followed by the Red Skelton Show. Thanks to Joel Schoenwell and Paul Stringer for technical support. The executive producer for Theater of the Mind is Moses Neimer. I'm Frank Proctor. Have a great night. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.